0: In this episode, I talk about having Loz GMing for us as we enjoy our first adventure in the Leoness setting, and we have a second part of Monster Island Review, plus the usual segments relating to everything Mithras. Welcome to the official Mithras Matters podcast, Season 1, Episode 13, Loz, Leoness and Monsters 2. Hello and welcome to Mithras Matters, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. As always, I'm your host Inwills and I hope this episode finds you all healthy and engaging with social distancing and your regional lockdown criteria. So after talking about using a virtual platform for the running of my games in the last episode, I've started to produce some videos on the topic, which you can find on my YouTube channel as well as the ones about how I create overlays and tokens. Thank you to somebody who commented on a much easier way to make tokens in the comments. I'm sort of stuck in my ways now, so I'm sticking to my version. But I've also added how I organize my adventures within Roll20 and, by request, how I set up dynamic lighting, which can add a little bit of realism if your characters are all like mine, all human. It always surprises me what they want to do with that torch. And talking about YouTube, I have to say a huge thank you to everyone who has decided to become Patreons using my Patreon link. It is so supportive and I have very nearly reached my first target of 10 Patreons. I think I just need one more. I really value everyone's support so I have a rather unique system um, of the tiers. You can find out more about that by following the link in the show notes. But enough about me, let's see what's been happening in our own campaign as we check in with our favourite characters in the campaign updates. So the current set of adventures are focused around Gulliver and his backstory. I often like to do this so a player gets to have the focus on them and really develop their character. The party have been asked to see why a portal is not working in a place called the Dark Tower. Now you need to know that there are several orders of sorcerers within the campaign world and the Blue Order, which Gulliver belongs to, is in charge of creating and maintaining the portals around the world. The party have set out to the island via the Blue Order's ship, aptly named the Kraken, which literally has a floating portal below deck. They arrived on the ship, and after dealing with some harpies, they made their way through a storm-tossed ocean to the island. Boating skills were needed, and their roles failed, so they took the more roundabout or scenic route. Arriving at a small pier, they found the wood rotten and infested. The same was true of the rickety ladder that they had to climb to scale up the cliff to reach the tower. But when they arrived, the tower, owned by a member of the Black Robe Sorcerers, Azoic, appeared deserted and in darkness. Well, what were the party expecting from the title of the adventure? The Dark Tower. Anyhow, after dealing with death, watch beetles, and lumbering wooden golems, the party eventually found Azoic, and Gulliver was presented with a startling truth. It would appear that the magic that Gulliver was taught before coming to Lindo was actually the magic of the black-robed sorcerers. And Azoic wanted Gulliver to leave the Blue Orders and to become his new apprentice. And, if he agrees, he would inherit one of the rare soul jars which exists on the continent of Odess. I'm not going to spoil it for you all by telling you what Gully decided to do, but you can find the full video on my YouTube channel where you can also find the actual play videos right from the very first Mithras session. There are also selected highlights and my adventure reflections. Oh, and if you're interested in reading my adventure notes, then they are available on my website inwills.co.uk. They are free, but feel free to donate something to my content creator dream fund, if you are able. I just want to remind you that this podcast would not happen without everyone's contribution. And if you would like to contribute to the podcast, then why not drop me an email or message and let me know what you would like to cover. You can email me on inwills at gmail.com or send me a message on the various forums I frequent. Okay, so in the last episode, we had the first part of an excellent review of the Monster Island Supplement by the dynamic duo Bill and Ray Rael. Now, there has been some discussion about why I called them the dynamic duo. Well, this is because of their initials and that they are working together on the review and of course their very own podcast related to Mithras. Got it yet? Well, the reason I call them the dynamic duo uh, is because of their initials B and R, Batman and Robin. Well, I thought it was a good idea at the time. So, Without further ado, please welcome back the dynamic duo as they continue their review on the supplement Monster Island.
1: Okay, so leaving the places of interest. So those are the big, tough, dramatic locations that are detailed in the campaign. This chapter does list a few other places and at least one of those is developed or has been developed in phoenix magazine so the i think it's now called the tree of eternal life um it is yeah 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 that's been completely detailed with pre-gen characters and and everything that you might find in there so and i'm not sure if any more of these are going to be detailed but it gives you a kind of hint as to how potentially the way that you might develop one of these locations
2: i think i think one of the things that i hear the most when on the boards um people want to say i want a sword and sorcery campaign and of course these these locations are really good for that sort of thing i mean they're very contained and and sort of Mm -hmm. isolated very episodic i I tend to think of them as episodic like a tv show
1: yes it definitely doesn't have a big plot or a big payoff it's very much like a picaresque it resembles like a, a, a picaresque story so that's it's like that's a fictional mode. It's like very much like the Conan stories. Really, is you're living to day day to day, and you're not following a grand narrative necessarily.
2: That's right. The, uh, the, I mean, while well, you while well, you could do a storyline like that with with Monster Island, if you really wanted to, some mm. big overarching thing. The the book even has a whole section about running. Uh, a campaign like this how to run a sand, how to run a sandbox campaign and mm. how to kind of have these single episodic adventures that come out of it and how to get the how to get a tone that would really help you would do a sword and sorcery or a pulp sort of campaign i mean yeah let's say i mean go back to your example of conan um i mean they talk about how there's no black and white morality uh there i mean conan conan's a good ish guy but he's not really that good (laughs) no he's he's definitely out for himself Mm. but it's it's more more you know there's gray and then there's black Mm. and there are very few characters that are wholly good in the whole thing
1: for instance if you played one of the tribe members you know they very much have a have a code and a way of being and acting that doesn't that doesn't fit in with with the colonists, for instance.
2: Yeah, and they, um, and they have a, they have mechanical support for that in the rules. So I mean, yeah, I mean, you have a reputation, right? Maybe, that's right.
1: You, yeah, I mean, status is is kind of measured, and the I think each of the three groups—the colonists, the the tribe members, and the the serpent people—have their own measures of status. So, which the PCs can can kind of buy into.
2: The PCs, if if they're colonists, I mean, they, the idea is to be a ship owner or governor of the colony or yes. to be bringing back loot from the jungle. That gets you, that gets you status. Yes. Whereas if you, are, if you are a Lizardman Savage, becoming a warrior gets you a status and that requires you to capture people or, or becoming a shaman gets you status. Yeah. And and I think the 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 Serpent. Men, I forget exactly what gives them status. It, so the, uh, I'm
1: looking at it now. So each each sorcerer's rank, each Brotherhood brought under their own their soul control. Each sorcery spell that you know, surviving a pilgrimage across the island and returning with a great treasure gets you. Oh gets, yeah. you, you know so. And there, there's a motivation for an NPC sorcerer that you might meet traveling across the, the jungle. As like, well, you know, I want to get to this place and get this thing. And everything they do is perhaps going to be motivated by that.
2: They might even en- enlist PCs to help them with that, yeah. isn't that. None of the magic on Monster Island is is easy by any means. It's all It's all slow and rituals and... Very, very evocative and flavorful and, and, in fact, fairly dangerous if you if you do it wrong. One of well, I think one of my my particular favorite entries is if you try and perform a, a, a sorcery spell too fast, uh, you could lose your lower jaw. It literally <laughs> is removed from your face. And I'm like, wow, that yes. is uh, devastating, to say the least. Very, very, uh, very dangerous sort of activity. So they take their time and, and make yeah. sure that it's... It's not the sort of cast a fireball in the middle of combat sort of thing that you might see in, in Dungeons and Dragons or you know some other some other RPG. It's uh, quite a bit different. The,
1: yeah, I mean they've completely, in terms of the actual magic and sorcery in particular, they've completely, or the book completely, uh, not redesigns but certainly renames all the sorcery spells. So I think again you can see some of the weird fiction influences come up there. So because the names of the spells are all, to me, they're very reminiscent of Clark Ashton Smith again. Um, Oh,
2: absolutely. We have, we have things, horological somnolence or, or or, uh, parthenogenesis or progenitor metamorphosis. I mean, they're, they're very, 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 uh, what What is the word that I'm thinking of? It? Well, they're certainly polysyllabic, but there's a, there's a <laughs> word for it. Doesn't that double, about double the number of sorcery spells? That uh,
1: yes, I think it does, yeah. Um, it's pretty, they, I mean, it's a combination of new, so completely new spells, so as well as renaming everything. If you wanted a, a guide as to how to construct a a set of sorcery schools, it provides you with that. And it also, beyond renaming everything, then adds to the spells, and then it also adds to the gifts that you might get
2: and also theism there's a couple of new theism spells in there as
1: that's right and again all the gods are very reminiscent of uh robert e howard and clark ashton smith again each one of the cults is a bit of a two-edged sword so usually in most older kind of rune quest cults the the cults just gave you benefits more or less with maybe some minor drawbacks here the the cults have some potentially some major drawbacks and some of them quite a bit worse than others so they're all potentially cults that pcs can join but they do also have some potentially nasty uh, side effects or downsides to them i should say
2: one of the, the unique things about the cults here is uh the Animism one. all of the lizardmen shaman are actually initiated into the cult right at, yeah. you know right away they all have they all have trance Uh, and if you're and if you are following in will's animism deep dive that he's been doing Mm. uh, monster island has a very very excellent animism section uh fully detailing out the the 13 or so different animism cults that are there with all of the the animals that they follow and and how those might be constructed and really useful for helping you figure that out
1: yep i mean i've lifted the the way that the animism cults were organized into another campaign just to see the the kind of extent of it and the the style of the, the sort of approach it also gives you like a spirit encounter table for when you are you know potentially that's for when pc or other shaman are navigating the spirit world and trying to kind of find things so it does give you a uh, something that really isn't in the core book which is an example of I suppose you know the the three different magics that are present here animism and, and sorcery
2: it really does a great job of detailing how they look and how you can can mix and modify and bend all the the mithras framework around yep. to do what you're looking at doing i I'll be honest I did not really understand what I was doing with magic in mithras until after I read monster island and after I mm. sat down and looked at looked at spells like tangential perambulation <laughs> which yeah. which is I mean like uh, how can you how can you not that uh you know it's <laughs> teleport but it works only yes. in corners yes and i'm like yeah. oh oh so they're saying okay i it's it's not you know and i help me understand that this is not so much this is a setting this is the way this is the only set of rules you're going to be using for for the sense of for how you're going to run your campaign but rather this is a framework to kind of build your stuff around Mm. and and you can you can twist and tune and contort it to to how you want and so i can throw in things like you know this this uh this this rack spell only works when you're in shadows or you know yeah, the teleport yeah. only works it works through corners yeah. so who who would have thought of that one
1: I mean we've talked about the uh, magical mishap Tangle. yeah yeah i mean i've toned that down with mine because my
2: oh
1: i do i've used it for fumbles but actually most of them are not don't have very magical characters to begin with so and one of them is a shaman so it hardly hardly affected them because animism is not really affected by this it only affects no, um, theism and and uh, sorcery, but it. it but, but I mean, for one thing, it's great kind of flavor. You could decide, well, I'm not using it at all, or perhaps the. I mean, I think the recovery of magic stuff is quite interesting, and in the fact that you can find uh, the geomantic nodes, which provide. Well, one thing they can do is they can can provide magic for enchantment, so that you. It's a source of magical power, so they're right. like um right. they're like little springs of of uh of magic power that you can draw from um
2: did you that you can incorporate in if you if you've got the gift for it yes uh, you can incorporate using your 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 enchant spell uh, yeah instead of having to power it with your own exactly, your own yeah. magic points I mean, yeah making this very much more traditional sort of magic item than uh, than the, the one in mithras which is you know it's empowered entirely by you
1: yeah, and that can be a way of of making a location particularly unusual or dangerous or or valuable because it has all that kind of power. So it would mean, well, we have to be at that location in order to power this, or else it's not going to work, or or there's some particularly dangerous magical thing there that gets powered by this node, and it's going to remain powered, and you know we've got to just kind of suffer through that, you know, which is. Typically, not how that's not kind of core Mithras is that the magic is tends to be quite limited here. You could really kind of, although despite despite the kind of limitations and drawbacks, you could really kind of boost it up g- given kind of some of these things. I mean, one of the one of the gifts, one of the sorcerer's gifts is a horde <laughs> which enables a sorcerer to raise a, a whole undead army <laughs> within you know, just uh, cause bodies to just animate um yes within the range increases of the, spell. the
2: number of targets <laughs> of a specific spell <laughs> to all available targets within a limit set by the range yeah. component yep so so um, if you if you have a very high range spell um you know say a kilometer or something yeah um, that starts to become a, a very very potent sort of ability
1: yeah exactly
2: even like little you know little things like the sensor of insect repulsion over in the <laughs> enchanted artifacts section, like who would use that, but then you have things like the infernal brain library. I love the infernal brain library it's <laughs> it's uh my 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 entire group would be all over that in a heartbeat uh, if I brought that in the sarcophagus of regeneration, which you know that's that's actually kind of out of batman they have they have a, a oh. similar sort of thing in in Batman. I don't know if he was thinking about it when he wrote it, but I know they have one.
1: There's some great things. I mean, my my current PCs have got... So this is their deal with Solex. They've got an Ebon disc, which which Solex basically is lent to them which is which is pretty in fact that's one of the one of the items that does not have a drawback really
2: unless you you can't not not being able to use any magic around it
1: (laughs) exactly so they've had to grapple with that it's like well whoever's holding it can't be can't have any kind of current magic attached to them and also they can't pass it to someone else so none of them have yet been brave enough to actually try throwing it because are thinking well if we miss <laughs> you know uh we've just thrown away our most powerful kind of magical item
2: yeah i i've been i think uh i've been put thinking about putting in the uh, my of uh, bereavement into into my game i have uh, my my current classic fantasy game we have a, a halfling berserker who comes from a culture and i just started throwing all of the weapons from monster island at him he's like oh these are fantastic, you know, all of the <laughs> all of that style of weapon. I was like, great. Uh, we will go with that. Um, so so he uses so he uses the, you know, obsidian tooth swords and whatnot. Okay. Uh, for I have been I have been using uh, the flora and fauna quite a bit. I had nagas right. that I were straight up serpent men from oh, Okay. we were even using sorcery even though it's classic fantasy. Um, I used the the monster right. island lizard men for campaign. Um, there's a Tyrannosaurus Rex running around right. uh, that they use. Uh, it, it there's so much, so much that you can just grab out of here and inject your campaign. My last game session, I used a Monster Island giant centipede uh, to replace the giant centipede that was in a D and D.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Bill, you don't really do a lot of D and D, but no. the giant centipedes in D and D are a, a foot or two long. I mean, they're not. Oh. they're big. Right, like they're they're yeah, the
1: size of a this, dog, right? These are completely right. different.
2: My 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 the wizard in my wizard uh, character in my group, he uh, can, amazingly got separated from the party at the exact moment, and this was all by random chance uh, that the giant centipede showed
1: up. Oh, him. Dear. Uh,
2: And he is in he is in this hallway by himself, and so he's got about I don't know 10, 10, 10 meters or so between he and the giant centipede. and The giant centipede himself pops his head around the corner. That says, Hey, there's a snack. Uh and, and so then this ten meter long giant centipede comes coming down the corner corridor. Uh, and he he, he manages to, he manages to get it, although he almost lost his leg. Uh, luck point was required to keep it from removing his leg yeah. entirely.
1: But he has um, venom as well, so
2: Oh he does. And it para- it paralyzed him, but fortunately uh, the, the cleric got to him before the venom could take a completely full effect and 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 help him out of that
1: the the flora and fauna is a big chunk of the of the book, and so it it i think does it double the number of creatures this came up oh recently. more than doubles more, more than double more, than, double. more okay. than
2: doubles more than double okay uh, uh, do you have, do you have do you have a favorite one that you like
1: i mean some of them i mean i've 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 done big stuff like I've used the hydra or like a version of the hydra. Probably. Uh, I think in terms of my favourite one that kind of screwed up PCs was the cob Hobbler. I've used that and I infected one of the PCs, which was they did find absolutely terrifying. So it's like um, the Cobb Hobbler is a bit like, uh, I don't know if it's based on a, a folkloric creature, but it just reminded me of the thing, the way that it infects. I suppose there's a bit of alien in there as well, but... The fact that you get, oh, yeah. you know, if you get near it, you might get infected by spores. And then you might get a, a, a cob hobbler kind of growing inside you. So
2: that's... It's I, 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 I recently looked at that one. I was going to put that into my game as sort of a terrifying random encounter for my folks um and then i thought twice about it uh, <laughs> i was like ah, i don't know if they're gonna really enjoy that one so much
1: i think they came across it it was right it was kind of random but uh yeah i mean they, they survived i've I've pulled out all kinds of things from from the kind of game on monster island and almost anything you can you can use anywhere in any any kind of campaign setting really i've used a lot of the plants because you know you could potentially put those anywhere. They're not particularly jungle plants, I don't think. I mean, I've used the Kula Miu pod, which has swallowed one of the PCs until they got got nice. hacked out. That was nice. quite, that was quite fun. Some of the the kind of hypnotic. I don't know if that is the hypnotic plant, but one of them has hypnotic kind of properties. The flying... I mean, there's three flying creatures. What are they? There's the... There's a flying
2: snake, there's the moon bats. Yeah, um, one of them is like a float, like a floating jellyfish sort of thing, isn't yes, it? Yes, like, yes.
1: There's a couple of them. I, mean, I think the worm thing is used as a mount, and the gas bag is just kind of on its own. The thing about those creatures is that you can pair them up with serpent folk because, the, you know, they'll fly some of these big flying creatures... And in fact, my group escaped a certain a people's city on a giant vulture, or most of them did anyway. Um, that,
2: that's fantastic. Did they? Was there an explosion behind them as they as they <laughs> flew out
1: of the city? Funnily enough, as they usually do, they set fire to a location they were in. I'd, I'd placed the location, the Tree of Eternal Life, in one of the cities. They'd set fire to it. I've forgotten how they did that. <laughs> So they set fire <laughs> to that place, which is inside the city, and so the city began kind of cracking and burning. So they were running from that and then eventually found a, um, a vulture. I think at the time they also, the, the way they were able to use it is they used... Oh,
2: uh, dust, yeah. yeah.
1: So, in fact, they've, used, they've run out of their, their, um, their dust there, but they used it for quite a time to sort of manipulate creatures and, and people that they found.
2: That is fa- that is fantastic. The, the 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 monster section of this is pretty much a who a who's who of every culture's weird monsters. Um, yeah, there is there is stuff in here that I was like, you know, I've been I've been playing role playing games since you know the late seventies, and there's stuff in here that I'd never heard of before. And sure enough, it's somebody's obscure lore that they've got. Yes, like you know the Lakuma, the grabbing hand. I had never heard of this before, but yet it's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, it supposedly exists in one lake in South America somewhere. Right. I'm like that. That is absolutely fantastic.
1: Philippines in here, Africa, Japan. Uh, yeah, um,
2: Menengal, the, the 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 floating vampire head thing. That one's probably my favorite. the ni- The nice thing is that you're getting you're stepping outside of your you know your yeah. Western European sort yep. of mythology and moving. All over the world with this, and then of course we have dinosaurs and, and <laughs> you know swarms of piranhas and, and jellyfish and bats and whatnot, uh, or my personal favorite shoals of leeches. I am so looking forward to using a shoal of leeches on, on, my, on my players. <laughs> they're going to be, they're going to be what leeches? <laughs> yeah, like yes, yeah. they're very dangerous. Oh, you know we haven't talked about we haven't talked about the sleeping gods at all.
1: After saying there is no meta plot or overarching plot, there sort of is with with the kaiju.
2: There really are. Oh, yeah. By the way, the sleeping gods are kaiju, folks.
1: Oh, yeah. Oops. Spoiler. (laughs) Um,
2: Oops. Spoiler uh... alert. I mean, when did this
1: come out, actually? 20, oh my God, 2013.
2: I know, right? 2013. That's how old you and I are. Extraordinary. So this, wow. is,
1: seven, this is seven years old, I mean, at least.
2: Yeah, so that meta plot. I mean, the tribes yeah. are, are animistic because they're placating these sleeping gods, these kaiju that are, are there. And each, each tribe takes a kaiju and is placating it with their ritual to make sure that they don't wake and cause devastation and terror on the island.
1: And that is not really you know, made clear and foregrounded in the book. I mean, the actual entry is funnily enough, right at the back of the book in the appendices. So you know, I've called it the atom bomb of the campaign, because if one of these things wakes up, or more than one, potentially the gods that walk could destroy the entire entire campaign space. Although they do have some limitations as well I mean, they're limited by the power that they have. But they are completely I mean, effectively unstoppable creatures that have enormous destructive power
2: they're they're very very going back and referencing the media there there is a godzilla character yes um,
1: so yeah they're very much a, there's, yeah. a,
2: there's a there's a there's a moth <laughs> <laughs> yeah the giant flying turtle is there yes uh, yeah. they they're all there you're now you're going to be missing for any uh, and each tribe is you know kind of based on based around each of these and their their animism gives them powers reflected of of these kaiju right like yeah. the octopus tribe gets octopus powers and, and yep. the, you know the lizard tribe gets lizard powers and the hydra tribe gets yep. hydra exactly. powers absolutely wonderful little th- wonderful thing in there I, I love i love that you call it the atom bomb it's the part that you can hold and hold and hold for real cliffhanger at the end of it just to make them
1: there are these little suggestions like if you look in the somewhere near the beginning there's there's kind of plots or activities or missions or quests for the for the pcs and and one of them might be such and such such kind of colonist who thinks, you know, you should destroy this tribe, one of the tribes he wants to eliminate. And, you know, and you can decide whether this seems like a good idea or not, but he's very gung ho in, in getting rid of this tribe for one reason or the other. It's not overtly stated, you know, in the entry that, of course, if you did this, it would cause one of these creatures to wake up. I think it might be implied or it's, it's just kind of stated in passing. So that's kind of one of the dangers if you disrupt the tribes or the. Or in some way, if one of the tribes becomes too dominant and disrupts another, you know, another one, then it risks uh, awakening one of these gods which would spell probably be bad news in terms of actually what you might do if one of these and it's kind of one of the i suppose it's one of the secrets of the campaign it's here they're they're mostly hidden and even if you knew about the tribes you wouldn't necessarily know that well they're actually sitting on top of this effectively they're sitting on top of this big explosive god It's suggested that if this does happen in your campaign that the then the pcs take over and they play one of the gods so that would be the the end of the campaign if if several of these awakened you would then just play one of one of these gods and have their abilities for as, <laughs> you know for as long as it lasted
2: it'd be like like all of a sudden you but you bust out your king of tokyo board game yeah <laughs> yeah
1: so I I, I <laughs> thought about the awesome. the collector's edition of monster island would the deluxe collector's edition would have a whole map of the island plus 3d models of each of the gods and that would be your campaign ending moment where you got to decide the new shape of the island perhaps another volcano would erupt and the island would be reshaped and everything would be almost destroyed and until the gods kind of went back to sleep again or something like that the, um, this
2: would be the deluxe collector's edition that we will perpetually try to convince uh, yeah and Pete to put out it's gonna come and, out I can feel it <laughs> and thus far they've been resistant they've been very resistant to us
1: well since so this, you know 2013 so there's only another three years until it's the 10th anniversary so
2: oh yeah 10th anniversary edition yeah
0: thanks again for that awesome review i've actually got the supplement on my shelf and i'm definitely now motivated to delve into it and before we leave them the dynamic duo let me promote their other content slash projects which they are working on If you want to read more about the rules and have questions answered by experts, then do head over to their Discord channel. They have a huge amount of knowledge between them and they have a thriving community over there. The link is in the show notes, so do pop over and have a chat with them. They are fantastic. And not only do have they created the Discord channel, they now have their very own podcast called Opposed Roles with some excellent artwork. Do make sure that you check out their recent episode on action points in Mithras and the second episode, which I think is going to be all about movement. Definitely worth checking that out. Like many of you, I've been playing role-playing games since my teens, which, let me assure you, is quite a while ago. There's been many highs and lows during these times, including all-day adventures, deaths of my favourite characters, and engaging with new content. But never ever did I think for one moment that I would actually be in a game with one of the designers of the RPG that we played. But... Over the last couple of months, it has happened. Lawrence Whittaker, AKA Loz has been GMing for me and the rest of my group. So what was it like? Well, I have to admit it was quite nervous at the time. As the GM for the group, I feel that I'm responsible for understanding the rules and promoting the story. And I suddenly thought, oh, no. What happens if I'd got it all wrong? I had those awful scenes playing in my mind when the players are looking directly at me through their Zoom cameras with questioning looks, their eyes saying, that's not how you told us to play that rule. From talking to my fellow players, I know that we all shared some of those nerves, but they were completely and utterly unfounded. Laws is a great storyteller, and we soon found ourselves completely immersed in the game, enjoying our characters and the active story. It was so interesting to see how Laws engaged with the rule system in order to bring his narrative to life. I always remember him saying that to make Mithrash your own, and that was what he was doing. It didn't make my way, uh, the way I GM'd, any better or worse. It was just that we both GMed and had made Mithras our own. Once we started to relax and became familiar with how to work out those augmented roles, we have a macro in role 20, which we just press, enter the skill level, and it tells us how much to add. Now we had to actually work this out in our heads. However, we started to focus more on role playing and the characters rather than the rules. I've only ever GM'd Mithras, and here I was seeing what it was like from the other side of the screen. It was both enjoyable and enlightening. That moment when that skill which you have a huge percentage in fails, and when you suddenly realise how important passions are. The barroom brawl scene was truly epic. And the rapid reload sequence for the juggler is something which I will remember for a long, long time. Just a shame it wasn't cats. You will probably have to watch the actual playing videos to understand that reference. But before I stop talking, I have to also pass some comment on the setting in which we were playing. Leoness. Now, I am currently making my way through a Jack Vance novel after recommendations from both Loz and Medivac, the player who plays um, Hazra in our campaign. Please don't judge me when I say I was not familiar with the Leoness campaign setting. But that didn't matter at all. As we played, I became more and more aware of the nuances and the subtlety of the setting. It definitely felt different and it definitely had its own identity. I had read and the published um, adventure, Coddyfoot Stipule, a great adventure if you ever have time to play it. So I saw the adventure we were having reflecting the same feeling that I experienced in that module. The spells really made me smile as they were cast. Those names are epic. And although not completely unique to the setting, the combat styles and the passions reflected the wonderful world and rule set, which is Mithras. As I continue to read the Vancian novel, I can see the connections between the adventure and the settings. And I must say, I really like it. I'm not an expert on either, but if you are someone who is, then it would be great to have you on the podcast to chat about it or hear your views via audio files, similar to how the Dynamic Duo presented their review of Monster Island. To conclude, I am eagerly awaiting Leoness to appear on Eon Games so I can order it, but it is definitely on the top of my to-buy list. Also, if you ever have the opportunity for a game designed to GM for you, definitely say yes. Sorry, Lars, your email box might now be suddenly full. And that's it. Another episode of Mithras Matters Completed. I'm going to head off and start reading some M-Space rules as I eagerly await the companion. This is my next campaign setting, definitely. If you have a spare moment, do go and check out the character concepts on the forums for the game. I'll post the link in the show notes. Please stay healthy and safe. These are difficult times, but they will pass and soon we will be back socialising and smiling. So until next time, have a great month of gaming and I will chat again to you all in July when I have a chat with the creators of Destined about character designs and concepts. Until then, I hope all your posed roles succeed and provide you with a well-deserved special. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye. Of this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. So please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast. Thank you.